Hey folks, this week we're joined by Daniel Kwok on the Pre-Real podcast. This is one of those episodes you, you absolutely have to listen to. Daniel shares his story, how he came to this country with literally absolutely nothing. Uh, when he had his moment, he had negative $187 in his bank account. He has now scaled nine companies. He has an absolutely massive portfolio. By the age of 23, he had 83 rental properties uh, under ownership. He is an unbelievable guy. His story is amazing, super gracious. Uh, please, if there's any episode you're going to catch, it's this one. Daniel Guac, don't, don't miss it, guys. Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. All right, folks, listen up. We're joined today by Daniel Kwok. This is a, a real deal story of someone who came to the country with literally absolutely nothing, uh, immigrated here at the age of five. He's a serial entrepreneur. He is a real estate investor. He's got an incredible following. He's built nine legitimate scaled businesses. Folks, there's a lot of takeaways here. We had the uh, pleasure of, of chatting a bit in the green room, if you will, before we got we got started. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time out today. I know you're a busy guy. Hey, James, I, I appreciate you probably have had the best pronunciation of my last name in a, in a long time. So I already I already know this episode's going to be amazing because like, you, yeah, you probably have the most accurate version. But anyways, thanks. Thanks for having me on, man. <laughs> now, uh, I, I appreciate it. I, I know you have a lot going on, Daniel. So I'd like to jump right in. Yeah. The reason we were so excited to have you on the show is uh, your story, right? It, it's it's very easy to get lost in in the you know the the TikTok investors and that world today, where everybody is successful and everybody has these doors under management. It's intimidating. It's not real. Number one, you know, it, it's intimidating. Number two, and I think it's important for people to hear the story so that they can be inspired to understand you can do it. Like there is a pathway to go from absolutely nothing to where you are today, which congratulations on the success is absolutely amazing. So uh, if you could spend a couple of minutes on the background and, and give folks just a, a bit of context as you did before of really what you were facing when you came here. Yeah. Uh, which by the way, I love that you mentioned like the TikTok finance, you know, influencers, right? Because I, I know a good amount of them and you're absolutely right. Like 90% of them aren't making like not even like 10% of what they say they're making online. You know, yeah. like I always tell people, look, like if you really want to learn, listen and follow the people that are actually doing it. You know, guys like James, right? I mean, we were talking beforehand about the portfolio that you've got, right? And and then, you know, what I'm doing currently with self-storage and multifamily, you know, so, you know, find people that are, that are, you know, legitimately doing it and listen to their podcast episodes, 
reach out to them and, you know, and, and kind of go, Hey, you know, can I get some insight and some questions and whatnot? But, you know, my story is, is one, I guess, a lot of TikTok influencers speaking of which would beg for, right? Uh, so I, I got a, uh, it wasn't great at the time, but, you know, we came to the United States, my family and I, it's just my brother and I, along with our parents, uh, I came to the United States when I was five years old. And the way we grew up, if anyone listening to this uh, knows anything about immigrant life, is that it's tough. Like, it's really hard. Uh, you know, we lived in an apartment where I think rent was like three ninety a month, and it was one of those places where you turn on the light switch and the cockroaches go from the middle of the room. They spread out to the outsides of the right to the out to the walls. Um, I liked going to school because it meant I got a meal. You know, it was a good day. Like I remember one story where uh, our family we were at the park and my brother and I, you know, were just playing around in the swings and you know, on the corner of my eye, I see my mom. Uh, she has like this plastic container and she's picking up you know, like these weeds, right, virtually. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe she's like giving it to my dad or whatever. Right? She's got some project going on. And then two hours later, I see it on our dinner our, our dinner plate. And I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. But, you know, it, it taught me a lot about the value of the dollar, you know, and uh, it taught me a lot about hard work and grit, um, you know, and it, it taught me number one above all things. And I think this is the number one trait. I think entrepreneurs, real estate investors alike, it's like the number one trait you can have it's, it's gratitude, right? Like if you could just be a, a posture of gratitude, like every single day and just remind yourself how awesome it is just even live in the United States. Um, like number one, it, it automatically puts you in a giving mindset, right? Like it's very hard to um, have gratitude and be selfish at the same time. Like it's very hard, you know? And so the reason why that giving mindset is so important is because, well, people don't want to work with takers. Everyone wants to work with a giver. Right. Like, especially like with business partners, if you're you know, trying to raise capital to do your deals, like you don't ever want to work with somebody where they're constantly thinking about how much money that they're going to make or how much money, you know, or, you know, what like control they get to have and all this stuff. Like we always want to work with people that has our back, that has our best interest in mind, is always going to want to take care of us. Um, and so, you know, that's that's really, really important. So that's the one thing I really took away from my childhood was gratitude. And, you know, fast forward. Um, 18 years old, because a lot of times when you grow up poor, you learn poor. And I think, James, you and I know enough about financial literacy to where when I say you learn poor, you know exactly what that means. You know, yeah. you learn. Yeah, exactly. Right. You learn and you abide and you you embody the principles that make you a poor individual. And we're not just talking about money here. You know, we're talking about a lot of other things as well. Uh, the ability to dream big and and have a vision of what your life could be and want it to look like. So 18 years old, I learned poor, and uh, that, I, that resulted as a byproduct in me having negative $187.65 in my bank account. And I had a couple maxed out credit cards because I had to pay for books for college. Um, took out way too many loans in hindsight, right? But my parents were insistent that I go to you know an institute of higher education. So uh, that's what, that was kind of like my breaking point. And everyone's got one. Right. Like if they're listening to this podcast, like my question to the individual listening to this is, well, why are you listening to this episode? Because you're either motivated by some type of pleasure or you're motivated by some type of pain that's happening in your life right now that you want to change. And you believe that investing in real estate is a vehicle to do that. So uh, that was my breaking point. I was like, enough is enough. Like, let's finally do this. So I started learning about financial literacy, uh, went to a seminar of all places and 
the individual in front finally answered the question of why did my family grow up poor while my friends in high school, their parents had nice cars and, you know, they had uh, different outfits to wear every single week and, you know, different things like that. So fast forward, and there's a lot of really cool stories that happened in those five years that I'll get to in this episode. But between 18 and 23, I built a real estate portfolio. At 23, I had 87 doors of rentals and had one comp- started one company with my brother. Uh, and then I guess you could say the rest is history. So I'm 28 now. It's been 10 years since I started my entrepreneurial journey. But that's, that's my background. So thank you for the candor. Um, a lot of ground covered there. Are a few things I want to hit. So in today's world, it is particularly difficult. And you being 28, you came up through a lot of this. It's, it's, I, I feel like it's very difficult. I have children, um, so I'm very conscious of the messaging and mindset out there. Uh, why did you not buy into or adapt this mindset of, I'm owed something? Like life's hard, shouldn't be this hard. I deserve more. I want my peace. That's a very tempting um, mindset. And I think it's it's particularly tempting if you're living in a place where you had referenced to earlier, you know, you went to school because that meant you can eat that day. Now, like folks, let that sink in for a minute, right? He was going to school. And he was okay with it because like that's that means he was able to eat that day. And you talked about being gracious and having a, a, a gratitude mindset, but you also have to be selfish in some of the investment strategy and perspective. How the hell did you beat back this? It, it what seems like it's a growing, you know, uh, movement and this banging drum of take, 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 take. Yeah, and and you make a really good point because I think you know my generation. I'm part of the millennial generation, um, and then now you have Gen Z, and I'm I'm looking at these two generations, especially everyone right now that's in their late teens and twenties and even early thirties. And you're right, you know, James. There is this sense of entitlement, you know, like this sense of I deserve, you know, all these things. And I look back at my childhood, and I I think one of the reasons why I didn't fall into that is because since we started at such a financially, you know, disadvantaged scenario. And I remember when, you know, our family first got our, our first house, right? I mean, I was in, I believe, like, like fifth or sixth grade. And it, I mean, we didn't even buy the house, right? It was like a parsonage from the church, right? But like, you know, the, the idea that we we had a house, the idea that, hey, not all four of us have to share the same bathroom, right? Like my brother and I got our own bathroom, my parents got their own bathroom. Like, that was insane to me, right? Like I still remember going over to my friend's house and he had like Nintendo 64, he had like a video game set. And I was like, oh my gosh, like you're so fortunate. You guys are so rich because you have an Xbox, you know, and like you have this Game Boy and like, you know, like literally I open up your fridge and there's all sorts of food and, you know, like it's insane. Like you guys are rich. And I still remember like him giving me like a weird look. I'm like, hey buddy, that's normal. You know, uh, but I think the reason why I personally didn't fall into that is because uh, we had so much financial adversity that, you know, when we did start having these things that everyone else takes for granted, again, it was gratitude. Uh, it's impossible, in my opinion, to be entitled and be grateful at the same time, like truly grateful, like gratitude as 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 God says gratitude, right? Like as gratitude as it hits your heart, right? Not just like, 
well, you know, I'm thankful, right? Like Americans are, you know, we're grateful one day out of the whole year, right? Um, but I, I think if if someone could learn that, and I'm not saying you can learn it, but I mean, like, have it be like a daily exercise. Like, man, like I live in the most fortunate country of all time. Like, let's think about that for a second, right? Like if you're in the United States, you have the ability to literally drive somewhere and buy whatever you want, right? Like we have these things called credit cards where you don't even have to have the money. You could just like say that, oh, I'll pay you back, right? And you could just buy it. But like, I mean, the, the income opportunities too are like phenomenal. Like there's so many different side hustles and businesses that you can start nowadays and make money. Like it's incredible. So um, it's, it's, it's rough, right? Because when you grow up and you have all your basic needs and, you know, like you're told yes to so many, you know, cause I think I'm assuming a lot of parents watch this. Right. But like, when you tell your kids, yes, like all the time, like it's going to create a mental pattern of, they see somebody on TikTok making a hundred thousand dollars a month doing drop shipping or whatever. And immediately since they've been never been told, no, they think that they should be making that they should, you know, they think that they can be doing that. And it, of course it doesn't help that a lot of these influencers make it seem so easy, right? Like they make it, they make it look so easy. And I'll tell you, like I, we got one company that does drop shipping and e-commerce. We did it a little differently. So we actually dropped a good chunk of change to build an AI software that does the drop shipping for us. Um, but like, I know I have friends who make really good money, right? Like they, you know, I have a, a hanging out with a buddy of mine a couple of days ago who like he made two and a half million dollars this year in 2022, just doing drop shipping. And he focused on a, spe a specific niche, right? Like sneakers and, you know, just really kind of like the, the basketball crowd. Right. Uh, and, you know, he did well, but he'll be the first guy to tell you, like, yeah, I, I'm working 60, 70 hours a week, you know? And, and so it's not, it's definitely not easy. So uh, I, I, you know, for, to answer your question, I take gratitude. Like that's probably the big thing. And there was no um, mentor or influence in your life that was a real estate investor, or was there as as you started to make this? this yeah, transition? there there was. You know, there was a lot of mentors, a lot of mentors, and that's that's the one thing I would say I did really well at eighteen is is I found a lot of guys who were you know twenty, thirty, forty years ahead. Wow. Um, and yeah, so I would go to like every single networking event I could find. Like I was, I was a man on a mission and I would say that's probably another thing on top of gratitude that real estate entrepreneurs or even just any entrepreneur in general needs to start is you, you really have to immerse yourself, right? Like for me, one of my biggest pet peeves, cause I, co I coach people on real estate. So we have a program called first deal mentor where we help you do your first deal, but the first one's always the hardest. Cause you have to overcome so much mentally, right. As opposed to just learning the thing. Cause I mean, even for you, James, I'll ask you this question. Like, if you if you think about how much you know now about business, right? And you own golf courses, right? You were telling me a little bit before the episode. So I think you're the perfect guy to, to ask this question. But you know a lot about business. You've been in this field for a good amount of time. You're, you're a broker, so you understand how the real estate industry works really well. When you did your first investment property, if you think about all the information that you have now, like, what's the percentage you think out of again, if you're if your whole knowledge base that you have right now is 100%, how much of that 100% did you think you had to know just to get that first deal done? Like so technical information wise, I thought I had to know a high number 60, 70, 80%. But uh, reality was, uh, I, I needed a, just a few percentage points of know how to be candid. Um, and perspective is is also important in that question, question, Daniel, because what I thought I knew then versus what I yeah. know now is yeah. 
is an ocean between those two things, right? And yeah. hopefully what I'll know tomorrow, um, but it, you know, a few percentage points. Yeah. And I, and I would say the same thing. And then, you know, when I, when I've asked, you know, hundreds, like literally hundreds of different successful, you know, entrepreneurs that, that I have the pleasure of knowing personally everywhere from, you know, Hey, this guy, I have 10 doors and it took me five years, but I did it right to, you know, guys like Ken McElroy and Grant Cardone, you know, who uh, I had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with, you know, these guys, they all say like, yeah, when I think about my first deal, like I, I, I probably only needed like 5% of what I know now to get that deal done. And I find that when I talk to a lot of real estate entrepreneurs that are aspiring that, Hey, like I'm off bigger pockets, you know, and which on a side note, Brandon is one of the guys I asked, right. The you know, guy with the guy with the great beard. Um, but like, you know, these guys, like these aspiring entrepreneurs, like, well, you know, I feel like, you know, there are you know, bigger pockets. I have to listen to 15,000 podcast episodes. I have to buy these programs and read all these books and all this stuff. And I'm like, look, like it, for you to do your first deal, like, what you actually need is resourcefulness and grit. Like if you can have those two things and and learn how to navigate problems that come up while you're doing that first deal, that is so much more valuable skill than needing to know like all the technical information that you think you need to know. And that's and that's challenging, right? And I'm actually talking about this in this new book that I'm writing. It's called The First Deal Playbook, right? Where it's it's all the information you need to do your first deal. One of the things I talk about in chapter one is, look, like we've been conditioned, the education system that we've been a part of for, you know, 15, 12 plus years, like we get rewarded based on how much we know, not how much we apply, but how much we know, you know? So it's like, of course, like when people are wanting to learn about real estate, the first thing they're going to do is, well, I need education. I need information. And while that's true to an extent, it, I would argue it's not the most important thing that people need to have when doing their first transaction. So, you know, I don't... uh I would say immerse yourself, like to, answer, to go back to your original question, right? Like immerse yourself, not in knowledge, but who you surround yourself with is number one. Uh, who are you hanging out with? What conversations are you having? Uh, I learn more in my conversations with my real estate buddies and my mentors who are 20, 30, 40 years ahead than I've, I've ever had in a book or a podcast or some type of program. So, you know, I, I'd say the way I met these mentors and why they were so important uh, is because I literally got to download 30, 40 years worth of their experiences um, into my brain in like two, three years. And you get to a point where it's like, okay, well, like once they start repeating stories and it's like, okay, you probably got enough out of that person. But I'm, I met them because I would go to three, four different real estate networking events per week. Um, I mean, I would read as much as I can because I think one of the things that mentors, including myself, value is, hey, um, do you have work ethic? Right. Because I don't want to teach you something and then you don't apply it. Right. So, you know, having somebody who, you know, they've read the books, podcasts, if anything, it shows me that you're willing to do some work on your own before you get to me more so than, hey, I know this much about whatever real estate. So, yeah, full, I'd say number one advice to someone that wants to become a real estate entrepreneur is immerse yourself immediately. Like, like spend, look at the amount of time you're spending per week on learning real estate and hanging out with real estate, doing anything with real estate and just like multiply it as much as you can. So it's, it's, we, we have today, like, this is the greatest time ever to be an investor. There are so many resources. It is so much easier today than it was 30 years ago. Oh my God, 30 yeah. years ago. Wow. I'm, I'm getting up there when I first started <laughs> to dabble in real estate, you know, it's, there is no excuse, honestly, to to not immerse yourself, to not educate, to not become a lifelong learner. I think lifelong learning and 
growing your uh, your sphere of influence and improving your sphere of influence as you go along. You know, uh, as I found it hard, uh, and I, I mentor you know people over the years, and, and I explain to them that you're going to get to a point where the folks around you are either going to be excited and want to grow, or they're not. And that's okay. You know, your your circle is going to change. Your friends are going to change. And you should strive for that. You should, you know, want to be always in a circle, two, three, four levels above where you are. Otherwise, you can't grow. Yeah, yeah I, I 100% agree with that. And like the big thing that I get is like, well, like, like, I don't want to like cut off my relationship with my friends. Like, I don't want to, you know, do that. And I'm like, and, and look, like you're actually being more selfish by not doing that. It's because by you not surrounding yourself with the people that are trying to grow and trying to leave a great impact on the earth and trying to do bigger and better things, like, like by you not hanging out with them, you're preventing yourself from being better, from being a better person, from, you know, a better financier, from being a better investor, entrepreneur, father, you name it. So like the people that actually really truly matter to you, like your spouse and your kids and the future people that you're going to help, like you're not doing them a service. If anything, you're doing them a disservice. Like I heard a great quote by an athlete um, who says that like, like you not becoming the best version of yourself is a robbery to the people that truly love you. And I was like, wow, like that is so true. Like that is incredibly true, which I, I think you know, applies really well to real estate, right? Because, um, you know, this is this is a real estate podcast. Um, I think that really applies to real estate because like one of the biggest regrets, not regrets, but one of the things I changed about like the way I began was when I first started, I, I was like obsessed with learning about specifically real estate investing, you know? So I would spend hours and hours like learning how people found deals and uh, people, how people raise capital and, you know, how people did this and how people underwrote. And, you know, for me, I always look at how can I make something better, you know? So I, I took a look at what everyone else is doing is, okay, how can I put myself in front of the line and really kind of just develop some hacks that are super easy for me to do? So, uh, which, you know, uh, translate it right to, to 87 doors in like one year that I, that I did. And so, um, one of the things I would change about how I started is I, I wish I learned more about like how to actually run and start a business as opposed to specifically buying a piece of real estate. Because I think a lot of people, I mean, there's plenty of content on, you know, hey, how do you raise capital? How do you find deals? How do you underwrite the property? And these are things that are very unique to the real estate world. What I wish I learned a lot more of is, hey, how do I actually set up an accounting system? Uh, how do I, you know, uh, cast a vision? How do I create uh, KPIs, right? Key performance indicators for me on a daily and weekly basis to make sure that my business plan and my action items are on track. You know, uh, how do I, you know, do sales negotiations, right? How do I do all these things? I, I wish I spent way more time doing that my first two, three years than learning specific real estate content. So you have achieved, and I think to that point, you've achieved something that eludes most of us, uh, me included, to be candid scale across multiple companies. And for me, that's been an, an incredible challenge. Um, and I think to your point, investing more time in the how to build the business side of it, because real estate, it, it's funny. Um, it's all kind of the same, right? Medical, self-storage, it, it doesn't really... It, the asset classes and the typologies, the investment strategy, yes, it's different. Timing of the market, yes, it's different. Um, geographical impacts and locations, yes, it's different. But the metrics are kind of the same across the board. So once you've become a seasoned investor and you've done uh, a number of deals in these different classes, and for me, it was a real estate agent. 
that's how I did it. I became a real estate agent and um, I just love deals. So, you know, it was what's what's next up on, on the ring here. And next thing you know, we were involved in multi-story, large-scale projects. And I just was learning on the job, if you will, as we went along. But I, I never took the time to figure the scale piece. I mean, between accelerated banking and IBC Jumpstart, uh, Quack Brothers Media, First Deal Mentor, how? I mean, scaling at, at this rate, at this pace, on this many companies, what's the secret sauce if there is one? Yeah, no, I mean, th thank you for asking. That's a great question. So I, I have a mentor of mine who, uh, he, he used to be the CEO of a company. I don't know, if, I don't know, if, do you know the company Topgolf? Yeah, sure. Yep. So um, he, he was the CEO of Topgolf for five years. So when he took over, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not the CEO there anymore. He left years ago. Right. But uh, he took that company. I think when, when I first met him, he was telling me the story of how he scaled the company. Right. Cause we met for the first time, I think like eight years ago. Right. Uh, I actually met him through my, a former pastor of mine, but uh, he took that, he took top golf from 30 million. That's when he first stepped in as CEO. And when he left the company was valued at like 2.4 billion or something like that. And he did it all in five years. And I, I remember asking him like, how'd you do it? Like, like that's insane to me, you know, like to grow a company from 30 million to two point, you know, two and a half billion, pretty much like that's incredible. So he said something to me that I'll never forget. And he goes, like, what you need to grow from zero to a million dollars a year in revenue is completely different than when you need to grow from one to 10 to then from 10 to 100 to 100 to a billion dollars a year in revenue. Um, and he kind of gave me like, if you want to go from zero to $1 million a year in revenue, and he's like, anyone can do this, right? Like it's anyone can do it. But he goes, if you want to go from zero to $1 million a year in revenue, like all you really need to have is a really good niche and a really good offer. Like that's it, you know? And even, even with real estate, like if you want to make a million dollars a year in real estate, like all you really have to do is find a niche that you know really, really well and have a fantastic offer, whether it's that offer to a seller, whether it's an offer to an investor, right? Like I, I built my entire portfolio pretty much by giving investors 100% of the depreciation because the way I raised money was, okay, well, number one, who's my ideal client? Like, who do I want to raise money from? Um, who's going to resonate the most with my message? Because for me, like my thing that I wanted to do was multifamily. Like I really like apartments. I like cash flow. Um, I like underwriting, right? Like I, I wasn't a huge fan of flips at the time because uh, every single person that I met that was doing flips, like they were in their 50s and 60s and they've been doing it for 20, 30 years. And I'm like, well, like, I don't want to do something where I have to do the same thing 20, 30 years later. Like that's, that's like a nightmare to me. Like the last thing I want to do is five, <laughs> 10 years from now. That's my biggest fear, by the way. If anyone wants to, you know, capture me and torture me, right? Like that's my biggest fear is, five, 10 years from now, I mean, shoot, even like a year from now, me, my schedule looking the exact same, like having the same type of meetings, um, talking with the same type of people doing the same type of things, you know, a year or two years, three years, five years, 10 years from now is that's like my biggest fear. So um, even with like multifamily and whatever, like I, you know, I asked myself, okay, multifamily, I want to do that it's generational passive income, financial freedom, right? All the great reasons why we love multifamily. And I said, okay, so that's my product. So who I asked myself, who's the, who's the, who are the people that resonate the most with the benefits of that product? So I literally list, I put on a sheet of paper and, and if anyone's wanting to raise money, I'd highly recommend that they do this first before they start talking to anybody and everyone. Um, and that's what I find is like one of the biggest weaknesses for people who raise money for real estate is like, as soon as they find out a person has money, they like get super excited or they get super nervous and like, oh, I need to talk to that individual. I need to get their business card. Like I need to sell them on something. And that's actually the worst thing that you can do, right? 
So what I did is I took out a sheet of paper and I said, okay, so here are all the benefits of multifamily, right? So depreciation, you know, long-term wealth, you know, principal pay down, cash flow, right? Like all these different things. And I asked myself, who are the people that's going to resonate the most with this product, right? And I made a list of occupations and people, right? So one of the people on top of the list were physicians, were doctors, right? Because, you know, a lot of times doctors have tax consequences and large tax consequences, and they need real estate to, you know, with depreciation and they need losses or they need the straight line depreciation or uh, they need us to do a cost sex study so they can accelerate the depreciation and get more of it this year, right? So um, I started going, okay, so physicians are uh, top of that list, okay? And so they really like the tax benefits. So how can I create an offer that's more irresistible than anything that they're going to hear? Because that's one of the things I was asking myself as well. These guys probably get pitched by like, hundreds of different syndications, right? I'm sure their email is on a bunch of different lists and I'm sure they have people around them that are constantly asking them for investment opportunities and money. So for me, it was like, how can I stand head and shoulders above the rest? And so giving them 100% of the depreciation on top of it being a really good deal, which um, that's what I got really good at finding. Um, that was like the home run. Like every single person I was talking to, they wanted to work with me because they found that I had an offer that was unique to what they were needing and what they were wanting. And so even just spending that extra time, like, you know, that, that was key, right? But it kind of goes back to what my mentor said, right? It's like, if you want to go from zero to one, like pick a niche and have a really good offer. Like that's really all you need, you know? So even with our first deal mentor program, like our offer is, hey, we, we help in 15 months, we help you do your first deal, right? And if we don't, we give you your money back, like plain and simple, you know? Uh, and so he said, if you want to go from uh, one to 10, have a really good system, like have a really, really good system that... Uh, makes everything super efficient around that offer and learn how to create ancillary income, right? So like you ask, okay, so the people that bought, you know, that helped me get to a million in terms of offer, what else do they need, right? Like what problem am I solving for next? And that's something that I believe that every single person should be asking because we all have clients and customers, whether it's in the form of limited partners, whether it's a seller, right? Like we all have a product that we're offering. Like if, if you're trying to sell to a seller, your product might be a cash offer. In my case, it's a lot of seller financing offers, right? Like we all have a product. And so, you know, you always ask yourself, if you want to go from one to 10, it's like, okay, what are the ancillary uh, ways of income? Like what are some additional ways that I can serve my clients and serve my customers? And not only that, but how can I make what I'm already doing super efficient and systematize it? And then he said, if you want to go from 10 to 100, get really good with leading people, like actually or like creating an organization, um, like creating, I'm sorry, creating a company, right? So creating a team, like team building and all this stuff. And then he says, if you want to go from a hundred to a billion, he said, get really good at leading an organization. So learn, get really good at building a culture, um, you know, enforcing core values, putting people in positions where they really need to succeed. And, you know, one of the questions I asked him was like, okay, well, you're a CEO of, you've been, you've been a CEO of multiple billion dollar companies. Like what's your secret? And he goes like, Daniel, at the end of the day, like I really do three things really well. And, and at the top of that three things was, I just get really good at making sure six to eight people are crushing it every single day. Like that's what I'm really good at is, is having a leadership team of six to eight people, which is like chief marketing officer, you know, chief tech or whatever, right? Like chief operating or chief financial. Like I'm just really good at making sure that they have everything they need to succeed and lead their teams really, really, really well. And that tends to spread down the culture. So um, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but anyways, no, I mean, this, these are the things I gold. just thought were like, perfect. Okay. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, to the, so many things uh, that you just touched on there, folks, um, as as we're all going through this process and we're trying to build our organizations, we're trying to be better. 
there are so many influences and so many things that you you hear and you read about and you research. And it's easy, Daniel, to get lost in the core values and all of these oh, different sure. things, right? Yeah. And and you you can't be everything to to everyone. You just can't. Uh, so uh, it's amazing how the core principles remain the same. You've got to be really super intentional about whatever piece you're you're in. If it's the zero to one or the one to 10 or the 10 to 100 or the 100 plus, um, if it's uh, about your offer, if it's about um, having the ability to, to, to have a better offer than everybody else and, and offer the depreciation, 100% of the depreciation back to the investors, be super focused, be super intentional. That might be like the word of the day for me today is intentional. Uh, we, we had some exercises we were doing earlier because we're trying to grow now. We, we have a, a, a platform on the real estate side that we feel we can scale nationally. Uh, we think that we've hit on some uh, really important pieces in the real estate business. And uh, I see it, but it's a challenge, man, to, to find those right people and put those pieces uh, of the puzzle in play and in the right place. Uh, and being intentional is just it, it's so critically important. Yeah, and and you can and you can do it with anything, right? Like it's not even just with raising capital, right? But for for me, it's like like I meet entrepreneurs all the time. But like they don't even have a million dollars in revenue, or like and and we're talking about business, right? Not necessarily like real estate, but like I, I meet entrepreneurs who are like they don't even have a million dollars a year in revenue, and they're like reading books on culture and like podcasts on culture. I'm like, you don't even have an organization yet. Like, what do you like? You know, like right now, you're at a point where you just need to like hire one or two more people and create and be really good at creating a system and, and making your offer more like potent, right? Like that's what you yeah. need to focus on. Um, and it's unreal because even with like real estate entrepreneurs who are like, hey, we have you know a hundred units and we want to scale to five hundred units, or like, hey, we have you know uh, a flipping company and we want to scale. We did like. $2 million in annual revenue last year. Like we want to grow it to 5 million. And usually when you're at that point, it's, it's, it's not like crazy more you have to do. It's literally just a couple tweaks and a couple of relationships that is required to get you there and make sure you do that really, really, really well. Um, and so even when you're first starting out, I, I would say like, just be really intentional, but be, but be really clear. Like that's the one word that I tell a lot of people that are just starting out is, like right now, the only reason why you haven't done your first deal yet is you don't have clarity. Like you don't have clarity on who your ideal customer is. Like, so for um, finding a deal, right? People, one of the questions I get all the time is like, Daniel, how do you find the best deals? And one of my answer is always the same. It's like, you never look for properties, always look for people, right? Like never look for properties, always look for people. Because it doesn't matter if you're in real estate. It doesn't matter if you know, you're in dropshipping or e-commerce, right? Because uh, my brother and I, we have a company that focuses on that, uh, which we spend like an hour a month on. And it, it, it like produces really good income for us. But, you know, you just have to be super, super duper clear. And every business, no matter what industry you're in, it's a people business. Like real estate is a people business. And so for me, my career has been built on, like, I don't care about finding necessarily properties. Like I do care. Like I do have a criteria of what I'm looking for. But the question I always ask is, okay, how can I find sellers who own that, right? Like, what are, what are the challenges and the nuances of that particular asset that uh, I can use to find unique people that I want to do business with? So if you just simply sit down and kind of go, all right, like, you know, the multifamily is what I want, all right? Like, how can I use that to figure out who's the ideal investor that I want to, you know, work with? How can I use that information also to find the ideal seller that I want to work with? And how can I use that to identify key relationships that I need to have to ensure that I can accomplish my deal in the next five or six months? 
you know, and I, th I think if people just took like even just an hour to do that, like, I think people really surprise themselves and how fast and how easily they can accomplish what they're wanting to accomplish. So a, a, a few of the companies are centered around first steps, uh, paying off the mortgage, you know, quickly and the first deal. Do you have uh, or any of the companies centered around scaling uh, like my business, right? Taking a business that's been there, that's done some work that is looking to take the next step. Is that in in the family of companies for you? Is that something you focus on? Uh, no, so we don't have a company for it, but I mean, you know, I have friends who are like, Hey, you know, we did $6 million last year in revenue. Like, can, can we just have lunch? And can I just pick your brain on what you would do to like scale it to like 20 million? And like, yeah, sure. Like I, I love talking about this stuff. Like I eat, breathe, sleep, like scaling companies and culture and all this stuff. So, um, like it's, 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 I'm passionate about it so much. Cause I, I believe it's, it's got the power to change the world. You know I mean? Like there are so many great companies out there that it's like, man, like if everyone had access to it, the world would look so different. You know, like we wouldn't need, like there's a couple of medical companies and some psychology, you know, a psychologist that, that I've had actually breakfast with this morning. And I'm just like, man, like if, if everyone had access to your work, like we wouldn't need antidepressant pills. Like we wouldn't need all the, the things that big pharma is pushing out or whatever. Um, but a lot of my companies are focused on getting people to step one, because a lot of times if you look at the masses, that's what, that's what's needed. You know, so for like my real estate company, we help people do their first deal, but we're probably going to launch something next year where it's like, okay, like, how do you go from doing deals? Now you're actually building a business. Yeah. Um, and we're, so we're probably going to launch something sometime in 2023 that helps people do that. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, even, even for you, like if you, if you want of somebody else to kind of give their opinion on what they would do to scale something, like I, I'm more than happy to jump on a zoom or whatever, you know, like I, I just love talking about this stuff. So, so it, it's amazing. The. The, the podcast world and real estate world by extension, this is all you find. It's just one person is better than the next. Everybody is so willing to help uh, and and be a part of what you're doing as long as they see you're real and you're vested. Of course, we're all busy, but uh, it really is this amazing open arms you know world. You, you You said something earlier about the power to change the world. One of my affirmations every day is that um, I have the power to hit certain revenue goals and via those revenue goals, I can change the world. That's something that I, I affirm to myself every day. It helps me to stay centered and focused and, and driven and tenacious and all of those other wonderful things. Why are we here? Why are so many of us talking about financial literacy why are so many of us talking about those core principles, rich dad, poor dad, and everybody talks about it, but everybody talks about it for a reason, because the book is, it's one of those books. I think it's just one of those iconic pieces that everyone must read. We know that there are things we can do, uh, proven things. I think uh, third grade literacy is one of them. If mm -hmm. you improve third grade literacy, poverty, uh, chances yeah. of you being in poverty dramatically change. But we're not focused on those things. We're not teaching financial literacy. The curriculum has not changed. Why? Yeah, that's a great question. And funny enough, I'm actually doing a, a video on my YouTube channel, and we're filming it next week. Uh, it's titled like the nasty truth of the like the of education, right? So we're talking about why they don't teach taxes, why they don't. So you know, we're doing a video on it. But uh, I mean, for me, the reason why I do what I do and and why am I here is you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a advent follower of of Christ um of jesus and you know there's been a really interesting 
couple of stories in, in scripture, right? Where it's like, people are asking him, it's like, Hey, like, why are you here? Like, what's your purpose? And literally his answer is like, yeah, my, my will is to do the, you know, my job is to do the will of the one who sent me, right. Which is, you know, father God. And so for me, it's like, that's pretty much my purpose, right? My, my purpose is to do the will of, of, of God, right. Of, of the one who sent me. Uh, and I truly do believe that like, it's impossible. It's really hard. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's really hard to um, make any positive change in the world without money, right? Like, even if you look at someone like, because Mother Teresa is the person who's like, oh, like, well, she did it without money. No, that's not true. She raised a lot of money to, right. to, to do what she needed to do in Calcutta, India. I actually have a couple of friends who used to work with her, you know, like uh, one of my really good friends literally owns the largest online platform for nonprofits raising money. He's got 105,000 nonprofit companies on his platform. Really cool guy. Um, so this is actually something I talk about a lot. And even some of my projects that I've got going on, we're actually developing farmland in Africa and some of, the, some of these countries like the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. Um, and we're focused on these really poor communities where like, you know, I have, I have a, a friend of mine, shout out to my buddy, Carlos Nunes, who like, I mean, he goes over to the Dominican, he goes over to, to Haiti and all these, these countries. And he's like, man, dude, there's, there's communities where they're so poor that, that these kids are literally just walking around the street naked. You know, and, and it's it's bad, you know, it's really, really bad. So we're actually um, developing farmland because if you look at how economies and cities actually work, uh, farmland oftentimes is the cornerstone of how things get built, right? Whether it's real estate, whether it's commerce, whether it's it's whatever. So that's one of my side projects that, that I'm currently doing now. But even like a Mother Teresa, like she raised money all the time. In fact, one of her favorite quotes is when somebody asked her, like, hey, do you know that the money that you're raising, that you're using to do whatever, like that actually used to be drug money? You know that from the cartels of you know of India, like and she said like well like I don't care if the money is originally from drug money I don't care if it's originally from a very honest businessman all I know that it's, it's all God's money so it doesn't matter anyways and I was like yeah that that's pretty much it and I I truly do believe that like if everyone had um, financial literacy knew how to 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 really run things right competency I guess in that regard I mean there are so many things that be different. You know, like I, I had a, a dinner with a couple of friends of mine who were recently about a couple of months ago um, who, I mean, they're worth a lot. I won't say how much they're worth, but they're worth in the, the 10, the 10 figure mark. And uh, we were talking about charities and nonprofit and, and giving, right? Cause I, you know, my brother and I, we do a, a good amount of giving uh, and they do as well. And I'm kind of just like, Hey man, why don't, why don't you give more to these type of organizations? Why don't you, we had a friend of mine who worked for a, a large nonprofit organization and I'm like, why don't you give more to that to that organization? And his answer was like, wow, I never saw it from that perspective. He goes, yeah, I don't I don't give because I don't trust the people that I give to. Because he goes, when I look into a lot of nonprofits, like eight percent of the actual money I donate goes towards the actual cost. And he's kind of like, it makes no sense that the CEO of whatever nonprofit they're making like two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Like it makes no sense. And by the way, they're the last person that should be the CEO of that company because they don't have any experience in running any other company. They don't have any experience in being a CEO other than that organization. They just happen to have been volunteered enough hours. They stuck around, right? They have maybe some good leadership qualities. That doesn't mean you can run a, an organization or run a company, right? So oftentimes the non, these nonprofits, they're extremely inefficient. Um, execution plans are usually terrible. A very small percentage of the money actually goes towards the cause. And that's the reason why they're still raising 
so much money. Like I read a statistic saying that uh, lost the I think all there's like 33 nonprofit organizations in the city of Los Angeles that try to tackle homelessness. And uh, they raised a total of $3.4 billion last year. And yet the homelessness problem in that same time frame actually got worse. Yep. You know, so it's like, I, you know, to, so again, I, to iterate, reiterate your point, it's like, man, like everyone needs to learn financial literacy and whatnot. So if you had to pick one or two of the companies that you're most excited for, that you're, you're most intentional in right now, uh, what would they be? Uh, probably, probably my, I would say I, would, I consider them like my two babies, probably accelerated banking, which we help families pay off their mortgage. Uh, and then first deal mentor, which we help people get into their first deal. So a, a lot of what our clients do is they actually go to accelerated banking first. They pay off their debt because it's not just for your mortgage, it's for student, it's for debt in general. Because the way debt works in America, most people don't know that it's a it's a handcuff, right? Because you know the the amortization, they're they're losing so much interest. But the most important thing is they relinquish the control of their capital. Yeah. You know, because what banks do is they make money off the masses. They take the money that they make and they they invest it. Right. They invested. And if they fail, they get bailed out by the government. Right. That's that's yeah. why they're so rich. Right. <laughs> and, and so what we try to most people to do is, hey, learn, learn how to pay off your debt first. Right. Let's let's get control of your capital back. Let's increase your cash flow by decreasing the expenses. And then afterwards, you play defense. Now let's play offense. Now let's learn how to regain control of your capital, but put it into hard assets that can survive inflation, that can survive market crashes. That if you look over a 30, 40 year span of time, the returns are ridiculously uh, infinite, right? And we call we call real estate the infinite asset because it produces infinite returns. And it, it brings benefit in so much more than just cash, right? But you're actually creating wealth because real estate over a course of 30 years is probably going to go up. Um, and not only that, but you know, you're getting tax benefits along the way. And you're putting yourself in a position now where, oh, wow, if you want to own that piece of real estate, now you got to get an entity, get an LLC, right? Or depending on what you buy, it might be a C-Corp, might be an S-Corp, sole proprietorship. Like there's so many different options you could do. But regardless, you, you're now able to start doing things like a salary dividend split where, you know, you divide your income through salary and also through a dividend, you know? So that's actually what my brother and I do. So we take a salary of like 75, 80 grand, and then the rest are just dividends and distributions. And that's, you know, one of the things that we do to, to kind of mitigate our, our taxes. And so... Um, I'd say those two things are, are the things that I'm very, very passionate about because it introduces people to the world of financial literacy. And we need more of that. Like we, we absolutely need more of that in America. No, no doubt about it, man. You're about to take down a significant portfolio of self-storage units. So it'll put you up around 1100 units. Um, can you give me a, a, a few minutes on why you're so bullish there? Yeah. So um I really like what uh, real estate asset prices are doing right now. I mean, obviously, we saw rates go up again this past Wednesday. I believe they raised the rates that's at four point two five percent. They raised it by fifty basis points. So, um, I'm I'm in a weird mode right now where I actually haven't bought a piece of real estate the last four years because of asset prices were so high, and I was like, I I really don't want to do that to my limited partners. Um, because a, a lot of the deals that I'm seeing right now actually are assumable loan deals. Like I've had four assumable loan deals come across my desk, right? And these are like 300, 400 unit buildings. And every single backstory is the same, is the exact same. Yep. They took out a bridge loan or IO loan two, three years ago. And now their financing is coming due. Their debt service is going to go up. 
and or the bank is wanting to refinance the mortgage. And now, oh, look at that. The interest rate's at 7%, right? Like it's literally the exact same story that I've heard. And this is like four deals I the last seven days. We screamed about this. We, yes. we begged people, please do not get into these syndications where yeah. they're structuring debt and they're banking on a liquidity event in a few years because rates are going to yeah. go up and the banks are going to have to get rid of this debt because reserves, cash reserves are going to be going down. The big banks are going to be sucking cash into their vehicles and institutions, and they're going to have to get that debt off their desk. Yep. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but- No, you're, on, you're absolutely you on, on the that. money. I was saying the exact same thing three, four years ago, where it's just like, I'm like I'm telling you guys right now, it's like, that's going to happen, right? And and the big counter argument was like, well, our equity multiple is so big, right? Our our loan to value ratio is going to be exactly fine. But it's, but it's not about that, right? It's even if you do, I don't care what your LTV is, if you still have to refinance after a short-term bridge loan or any type of short-term loan, like your cost of debt's going to increase and then your returns are going to vanish. Like you're going to be in a lose-lose situation yeah. no matter what, you know? And so- you know, again, it's I we, we've said it right, um, but the re the reason why I'm so bullish on on self storage right now is because I'm in again I'm in a weird mode where it's like you know if unless we buy something that's like seller financing thirty year amortization and the interest rates at like three and a half percent or four percent, which we we do have a couple that we're buying right now that one's at three percent and then the other is at four percent. Um, unless we do that and it's fixed debt for a long time, there's no you know refinance event and. If the rates are under market, we'll mess with it, right? Like, absolutely, we'll do it. And if, if we can get it at um, a lower valuation than what it's worth right now, like um, there's there's one deal that I'm thinking about doing right now and the, the seller wants 12. And I'm like, no, you're not going to get 12. That's that's way too high. Um, it's at like a four and a half percent cap rate, which I don't even like. I'm trying to buy it at closer to seven or eight. Um, but if I can do something like that right now, great. Fantastic, right? Which those those two self storage units, uh, self storage deals that we're doing are exactly that, right? This this big portfolio, it, it kind of checks off all the you know the boxes that I've got. Um, but in about six to nine months, I believe guys like you and I who prepared for these type of moments are are gonna. I think we're gonna have a good time. <laughs> I think we're gonna. Have a, I think we're gonna have a great time. I think it's gonna be the greatest buying opportunity of our generation. Yeah, I think so too. Do you think the Fed is the 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 Fed has started to pivot with this last increase only being a half a point? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I you know I'm actually not as worried about that as all the other stuff that they've been doing. Um, you know, especially with what's on their balance sheet, uh, yeah. reverse repo market, then repo market three years ago. I think it was like October of 2019 that they were doing. Um, and I think they're I think they were doing if I remember correctly like almost about like 10 billion a month. I might be off on that number, but it was a big operation. Um, I'm more concerned about that than I am about, you know, necessarily the interest rate uh, because the interest rate, yes, it will, it will fluctuate asset prices, especially with cost of debt, right? I mean, we, we all understand that, but if we're talking about all the stuff that they've been doing the last five, 10 years, like this is, this is stuff that could potentially like destroy people. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I mean, like forget buying something like forget buying a piece of stock or a piece of real estate for cheaper or more expensive. Like, like the stuff that they've got going on on the outsides of just interest rate, like that's things, those are things that might like ruin people's lives. Um, like, and that's, that's worrisome. Like that's extremely, extremely worrisome. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm following, I'm following a lot of things happening right, right now. And, you know, I'm still a little shy 
Um, but I guess I'm bullish more on the deals that I'm doing than on the overall market. Man, this has been uh, an absolutely amazing hour. I cannot thank you enough for the candor, the insight. Um, where's the best way for folks to find you, Daniel? Yeah. And by the way, I feel bad. I'm, I'm glad you thought this was a good episode because I feel like there's so much more like techniques I could have shared on like how to find deals and raise capital. I feel like I could have spoke like another hour on, on how to do that. But um, if, if people do want access to that, cause I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, wait, like I wanted to hear about that. Um, I do have a free course that I give out. So uh, if, you, if you literally just go to the quackbrothers.com and uh, there's a tab that says free stuff. Uh, if you just go there, I mean, you'll find, uh, I do a free three hour class on seller financing. Uh, I, we have a, I think like a 40 or 50 hour free course on real estate. And in there is, you know, uh, how you raise, there's how you raise capital. There's, you know, deal finding stuff in there as well. Like there's all sorts of things that, that I think, you know, people could really enjoy. Um, so literally just go to the quackbrothers.com forward slash free stuff. Uh, I've got a book titled zero to 75 units in one year. Um, that's also free as well. The only thing you have to do is pay for shipping. So, uh, if, if people want access to that, I mean, again, we give out so much free stuff and we do a free meetup every other week. So every other Tuesday, I do a free hour and a half, uh, virtual meetup, uh, where I share uh, a lot of really cool stuff. So on January 3rd, we're actually having an event, uh, it's titled how to make 2023 your breakout year. So, uh, 2017 was my breakout year. I, we did 83, 83 doors that year. Um, we just call it 75 because it's more catchy. <laughs> like my brother is more of the marketer than I am. Uh, but in January 3rd, I've got multiple people speaking. So I have one friend of mine who's a clinical psychologist. Uh, and I've asked him, hey, can you share uh, what are the like proven, right? What are the, from a clinical psychologist, what are the proven things that you could share that help people actually accomplish their goals? You know, and, and then I've also asked a friend of mine, Matt Sorensen, he's an attorney to come speak on how to raise capital from self-directed uh, from retirement accounts. So how to do that? Because obviously, you know, retirement accounts, liquidity is like ridiculous right now. Um, so I've asked him to come share on how to do that, how to do that effectively, and also the new laws around raising capital and doing real estate. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about um, how to establish a business strategy, how to establish a plan. So it's a little bit of both, right? It's about it's real estate. You know, but it's also, hey, like this is actually how you like do something, right? Like here's how you actually succeed, you know, whatever you do. Um, I'm going to talk about that as well. So it's a three-hour event, 6 to 9 p.m. on January 3rd. Um, I, I strongly encourage people to attend that because it's probably going to be one of the best trainings that we put uh, on in a while. So uh, again, free event. Everything I've mentioned is completely complimentary. Uh, feel free to just go to thequackbrothers.com. Uh, you should be able to find all that information there. And this event will be hosted virtually? Yep. It's virtual. So, you know, anybody can attend, no need to buy a plane ticket or get a hotel room or anything like that. All right. So we'll be sure to promote that. Um, Daniel, this again, I can't thank you enough for the time. This really has been uh, one of the absolute best episodes I've been a part oh, thank of. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Uh, you know, what you've done here is nothing short of remarkable. Your perspective, your energy, uh, your humbleness, really just an absolute blessing to talk to you today. Oh, thank you so much, James. Best of luck, Daniel, and everyone out there as always, please stay safe. This was great, man. I really appreciate thank you. you. Thank you, man. That was, that was fun. That was probably the most fun I've had in a podcast in a, in a long time. Good. I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear it. I know an hour kind of came off the, the clock so quick. It's just, yeah. you know, we kind of got going and uh, I'm sorry if we didn't hit some of the specifics you wanted, but this no was uh, enjoyable. So.
Yeah. Thanks for thanks for being willing to promote the the January third event. Um, what I'll do is I'll have I'll have Katie, who's my marketing director, I'll have her send you some information. Yeah. Um, on it. And and by the way, I I'm serious. Like if if you ever want me to hop on a Zoom and take a look at a couple of things, I'm more than happy to do that. I really appreciate you, and uh, I, I may take you up on that. If you ever need a real estate brain, you know, that is an area perhaps you don't have uh, a level of proficiency in that you think maybe yeah. I can help. The same offer, uh, of course, is extended. Oh, I'm going to promote that event. You may see me at the event. Oh, and sweet. Uh, this was great, man. Really appreciate you. Where, uh, where, are you. where are you residing in? We're in New York. Right on. Okay, good stuff. Anywhere specific, like Queens or? Uh, yeah, so we're... The, the headquarters we're in is in Staten Island. We okay. have an office in New Jersey uh, and in Pennsylvania. And then we've got out in New Mexico, uh, a pretty significant portfolio. Wow. Okay. And you're in New York. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah next time I'm in New York, I'll have to. I'll have Please to do. Out. What's your, uh, what's your, well, I don't have my phone with me, but uh, yeah, let's stay in touch. Maybe through text or anything like, you know, that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So I'll, I'll shoot you uh a note with my cell phone number okay and um as as you have uh was her name stephanie yeah that's my assistant stephanie yeah okay so have stephanie send me the information on january 3rd i'll send back my cell uh we'll promote it and then we'll connect from there okay thank i'll have katie send it over because she's our marketing director but i i appreciate you doing that I, that means a lot no, any, anything that, that provides value to the audience, we're happy to promote. And, and I, I love everything you got going on, man. Really, congratulations. Yeah. This is inspiring stuff. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. No, Thank my you. pleasure. Have a blessed day, yeah. man. See you, James. Take care.